So we should finish up today chapter 6 from Matthew. I hope we will. Looking at these issues regarding anxiety and worry and of course how that corresponds and to our faith and so forth. We looked last week just briefly at the first part of this lesson in chapter 6 which began with verse 25 where Christ just begins by by saying very plainly, very practically, don't worry. And I mentioned, uh, I think in the, at least in the ESV, I know that's mentioned like six times, the word's translated that way, in just this short passage. A lot of redundancy there, and that's always for a purpose. We look specifically at the fact that he's talking about a severe state of mind when we're talking about this uh, level of anxiety or worry as it's translated, a severe state of mind, something that's dominating you know, the way that we think and the things that we do and don't do. That's the result of it. And we noted also that he says stop worrying, that the people that he's talking to, he's, he's, the language indicates that, look, you're worrying right now. You're, you're all in the midst of this. Uh, Christ is speaking to a, a, a real problem that exists at that point. He's not just looking ahead. So that's what he's talking about. And again, this level of redundancy, and we talked about how when you see that, however it's presented, whether it's verily, verily, or he's just saying the same thing over again, he's doing that like anybody would who's teaching, and he wants it to sink in, and he wants people to hear what he's saying when he just gives it to them again and again. So we see that as well. He does this thing which was typical in rabbinical teaching, I think I pronounced it right, it was called a qual walmer, and that's just where you take something from the greater to the lesser. He was using that particular technique to get their attention as well. And what it came down to, uh, we discovered, was just really issues of contentment, which obviously emanates from our trust in what God has said He has provided and will provide. We looked at 1 Timothy 4, 6-8, through 8. we looked at Philippians 4, 11, which notes specifically uh, what it means to be content. To be content. And that, of course, assumes a level of acceptance, a level of belief, a level of commitment. We rest in the promises of God. We also talked about it. It doesn't mean you just sit down and, oh, do your thing, God. No, He's told us what we are to do. Uh, at times past, we've talked about the obligations to work and to work hard. I, I even gave you a little outline I remember from a sermon from Adrian Rogers. This might have been two lessons ago where he said, make, uh, what was it, make all you can, save all you can, and give away all you can. And I remember kind of using that, that little guideline in my early life when I began to make money and so forth. Having the right attitude, the right mental attitude about God's provisions, but more specifically here, what God says He will provide, what He will take care of in our life because difficulties will come. There will be times when our faith in these areas is stretched and we have to go back and look literally at the Word of God, the promises of God. That was verse 25 of chapter 6. And then we only got to verse 26 last week and finished up. We noted that Christ is talking about and He's alluding to uh, according to the, the commentators, he's alluding to this special relationship. When he says things like, aren't you worth more than these or much more than these? It's that allusion, if you will, that reference to a special 
relationship. And we looked briefly at the new covenant, talking about what God has done and what He has provided uh, for His church, for Israel. We made that distinction. Not that they're together. I'm not saying that. I'm saying both of them. God has made promises in His Word to God's people. Let's say it that way. We looked at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1-10, through 10, where Moses talks specifically about restoration and what God is going to do. We looked at the verses in Ezekiel chapter 36 regarding the new covenant, what God has done. Point being, and the connection being, that God will provide for His people. That's the overall connection. That's the overall message that we're putting forward. So that takes us up to uh, oh, verse 27 in the 6th chapter. I turned the page there and I thought I'd left out a page. I kind of freaked for a moment inside. But here it is. Chapter 6, verse 27. And he says, we'll just begin, And who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life. And you'll see that in some translations. It says add a single what? Cubit. What's a cubit? Anybody look it up? Oh, what's a cubit? Who knows what a cubit is? 18 inches. So here he's talking about length of days. He's not talking about a, a lineal measurement. And this would have been language that would have been common during that day. We do the, the same thing nowadays. So he's saying when you consider your life, adding that much more to it, 18 inches, adding that much more to it, you can't even do that. You can't do that. 46 centimeters, 18 inches. That's what they would have heard. They would have understood that. And this word life literally means it's a reference to a lifespan or an age. So he's saying, why are you worried about things that you cannot control? Your worrying is not going to add anything to the length of your life. And again, we made reference in the Scriptures before made reference to you know, what they drink, what they eat, and the clothes that they wear, and things that we take for granted. But in their day, in their economy, that was, that was life. And it is for us, it's just so much easier for us to come by. In their day, where most people was a hand-to-mouth existence, an agrarian society, it took on a whole different connotation. And we listed all the different things that could happen that would jeopardize being able to supply uh, yourself through work with any of those things. And he says, you can't add one cubit, one small space, to your age. Can you, can you picture Christ sitting there saying that very thing and how those people would have taken that? Wouldn't they, wouldn't they have thought, well, you're telling us there is this place of rest? I mean, there is a provision. There's something that we can rest assured of that keeps us from, from doing this, this, this worrying, this worrying and anxiety, this angst to the, state of, uh, to the point of literally dominating our state of mind. That's what he's referring to. And of course, the glorious answer to that is yes. Yes, there is something. In verse 28, he says, And why are you worried about clothing? Now here he goes again, he's repeating it. Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And of course, their mind is being drawn to Creator God. 
Creator God. And this is how He was most often presented, even by the Jews, as Creator God. Paul did the same thing in Athens, did he not? When he's standing there amongst all those statues and everything, and he sees that statue to the unknown God, and he says, ah, thank you, Lord, there's my lead in. (laughs) So he turns around, he says, well, this is the one I want to talk to you about. And when he begins talking, what does he talk about? Salvation, redemption, none of that. What does he say? God who created the heavens and the earth. And I mention this, I want you to kind of see it and hear it perhaps like they were hearing it. And they see the glory of God in creation. He says, that's the God that I'm talking about. And you see His handiwork even in the way that you look out over these fields and you see these beautiful wildflowers. It's probably not you know, literally lilies or whatever, but these, these wildflowers that are growing, how beautiful they are. And you recognize that as God's hand. He did that. He did that. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you? Right? You of what? Little faith. Yeah. Amen. Oh, I wish I had that referenced here. I need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. That was their day. I mean, that was their life. You know, that's what they, they thought about and what they were focused upon. And it ministers to their practical needs. God is all over our practical needs, and we'll see that in specific detail here in just a moment. You know what it's about? It's about loyalties. It's about priorities. It's about having our mind uh, thinking rightly about things, about money, about all these things that quite frankly, and we make this point over and over again, that our affluent society dumps upon us and uses, if we're not careful, uses us to, or uses to draw us away from what's important. As God has blessed us and filled us and taken um, uh, opportunity, if you will, to just bestow uh, so much goodness upon us. And yet it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are in your economic life or whatever. Listen to me. Difficult times will come. And even if your difficulties are less than someone else, someone else's, the responsibility of what we have is greater. Can you think of a scripture that supports that? Can you? Anybody say it? To whom much is given, much is required. I don't recall a specific. I just pull that out, but I don't recall that. Require that. I recall that speaking specifically. Be spe- come on, tongue. Specifically about money or versus uh, talents or time or anything. It's what we have, what we've been blessed with, whatever it is. And we're responsible for that. We talked about giving an account of that. 
we look at God's handiwork in creation, we see what He's done. And Christ used that as a specific example to say, how can you look at that? Understanding that you, as He said earlier, are so much more important than these things. How, how would He not supply your needs? And He says, oh, you of little faith. So without a doubt, worry is faithlessness. And we don't often think of worry, I think, as a sin. And I guess it might be hard between our ears to distinguish between just that natural concern that we have when somebody comes to us about one of our kids or something about anything in our life that we know is going to affect us. And we get that feeling of angst and anxiety. Well, we are human. We have that. But remember, we're talking about a dominating state of mind. We're not talking about recognizing the severity of something for what it is. We're not foolish about it. But we don't do it apart from faith. We don't let that dominate us. We get to work. We do what we have to do. We get on our knees. We get ministry. We get whatever we need and God provides. So it would be faithless for us to worry in that regard. A strong faith in the Lord makes worry an unreasonable effort. Listen, I'm one of those two. I try to remember that when I'm prone to worry. So Larry... Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. We listen to what God is saying to us when difficulties come in our life. We turn our attention to Him. And I think sometimes it's just a matter of discipline, maybe our spiritual experience with the Lord. And by that I mean entrusting Him in the past and seeing Him come through. And we say, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm at the prefaces of a, a difficult time. First off, what are you doing? Okay. And how are you going to provide? What do you want me to do? That's always part of the picture, is it not? Everything that happens in our life is for that purpose. We're to be conformed to the image of Christ. I wish that could be done without being faced with difficulty. Without our faith being literally put to the test. The Word is clear. He tests us. He does that for our benefit. God knows. He knows the outcome. It's for our benefit. And we yield to Him. Our life must be, and it is, a life of faith. Without it, he says plainly, it is absolutely impossible to please God. And faith can't be faith if it's not tested. You don't, as he says in Hebrews, you don't hope for that which you know is going to happen. It's that which you cannot see. Perhaps that which God has promised in His Word specifically. What He will do. Do we believe that or do we not? The best thing to do is hit your knees and pray. That's the best thing to do. Clear the mind. Allow God to speak to us in those times of difficulty when we're concerned about these things are related things. I would agree these things are, you know, meant, uh, came in a different context to the people of Christ today. There's still necessities for us, you know, clothing and eating and drinking and those things or a roof over your head or whatever. Well, let's look at 631. Again, here he comes again. Do not worry. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? What kind of clothing? And I got these two verses together because the first part in 31 here, he's just repeating to make emphasis. And in 32 he says, 
And listen to this, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now he's saying, look, there's a comparison to be made here. There's a contrast to be made here. And he refers to the Gentiles, as he says, who eagerly seek all these things. He's making a point. He's pointing out this this dominating influence, if you will, amongst the Gentiles. Now, what are they thinking when he says Gentiles? What's the flavor of the day there? What what are they thinking? Well, non-believers. Non, for the most part, I'm just talking about in general, that's the way they would think. People who are not a part, they're not the covenant people of God in his mind right there. They're outside, if you will. There's all different kinds of uh, words that would describe them. But I mark to look at Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. As Paul's talking here when he's talking about what probably your Bible titles there is the new man. Listen to this. He says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of ever or every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, that's what he's talking about in general terms. It's not that there weren't any Gentiles who had come to Christ. We know that there were. His lives had been changed. But what is he saying here? He's saying you're acting like a non-believer. You're acting like your God has not made any promises to you. You're acting like if you put Him to the test, which we're not to do, that He wouldn't come through. When He says, this is what I will do. And He says, you're allowing your mind specifically to be dominated just like Gentiles who are outside the camp. They're not connected with God as you are. And you're allowing that to happen. These are the promises that He's made and you've rejected those. Do you ever sit down and look at the promises that God has made to us? I know at least one person has put them in a little book. It's laying around my house somewhere, God's promises. Pick it up and start flipping through it. Good-sized book. God's going to do what He says He will do. So here, obviously, it's, it's godless to live in constant worry when our Heavenly Father has already promised that He will provide. Please don't say, well, Mike, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know. This is difficult. I'm not saying we don't have things that are a continual challenge for us. But do you rest upon your faith? Are you trusting the Word of God to give you strength and direction regards whatever it is? And this is how He moves and works within us. It is through faith. It is through obedience particularly in these kinds of times when it seems that perhaps our needs aren't being met. We're being challenged in some way. Listen, He has an answer according to His Word. Our thing is to come in conformance to His Word, whatever that means. And I dare say it's different for every person. It's specific to you and what God is doing in your life as a believer. Worry is not a trivial sin, I would add. 
Because it strikes a blow both at God's love and at God's integrity. Why? Because he's already talked about his storehouse and his willingness and what he wants to do for our benefit and for his honor and glory. We're Christ's children and we're to focus upon the things of the Lord. Be not conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to stay conformed to this world, and by that I mean think materialistically in this life, think in that regard, you're going to have the world's problems. quote from MacArthur, he says, when you think like the world and you crave like the world, we will worry like the world. It will follow. Because a mind that is not centered on God is a mind that has cause to worry. And that's true. And it's sad to think that even as believers we can, we can fall into that. But we can. Now, in my early days as a young Christian, Matthew 6.33 was very important to me. You know, it's... Um, it's common nowadays for people, a lot of times they'll sign their name and they'll put their favorite Bible scripture there, whatever. Well, I remember a friend of mine uh, who grew to mean so much to me, a teacher friend, and he's still a friend of mine today. When he would give me a card or a note or something of encouragement, I was in the eighth grade, he would put Matthew 6.33. Well, I dashed home because I, I thought everything this guy did was, you know, Perfect, you know, kid. I looked at Matthew 6.33. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now I'm going to be honest to you and tell you as a young, uh, young Christian and looking at that, I, I saw that verse more in the magical sense. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Alright, I did. Uh, but, and being ignorant of the Lord's Word, but being genuine in the Lord's Word, He soon straightened me out. Alright? But what a wonderful verse. And I look here at the simplicity, the practicality of what Christ is doing here with those folks that He's speaking to. And how this, this deep but simple truth, this profound truth, speaks to us today. Because it is right here about getting first things first, is it not? It's about priorities. I would underline and circle and put in quotes the word first. First. Seek God's kingdom. My mind went to Hebrews 12 too. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I mention that only in the context of looking to Christ in everything. Fixing here your eyes upon God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And certainly when we talk about His righteousness, we're talking about the imputed and imparted righteousness of God for us. He says we're to seek His kingdom. It's that word basilica. You're familiar with St. Peter's basilica, okay? But it's not talking here about geography. It's not talking about territory. It's talking about dominion and rule. It's talking about, obviously, a submission to that dominion and rule. God's kingdom. And we'll remind you, as 
pilgrims in this world. We are sojourners in this world. We are passing through, as it says. This world is not our home. We're to be heavenly minded, but not like that guy who said, you're so heavenly minded you have no spiritual good or whatever. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Did I do it backwards? The point is, right priorities focused upon the right thing. And we're to seek not only His kingdom, but we're to seek His holiness. Don't forget this. What does this have to do with concerns about things in life? It has everything to do with getting first things first. It has everything to do with putting our energies into the right thing. Well, here's a challenge from Leviticus 19.2 that's true today, speak to all the congregation, he says, of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now that's something to work on. That's something to aspire to. Or Philippians 1.4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. I understand we're talking about what God has done within us But we're not off the hook. We're to demonstrate our love for Him by serving Him, by obeying Him, by allowing His Word and His Spirit to cleanse us of everything that hinders us, listen, from being like Him, from thinking like Him. That's what we're to do. Our goal is Christ-likeness. That will result in our sanctification. That will result in holiness. And it'll do a lot of things as we melt it on down. It'll change our priorities. It'll change our tone. It'll change our propensities to worry. It'll do that. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Also, in all your behavior. You know what that word all means in the Greek word, right? All. And all your behavior. Right? Because it's written. And he goes back and he quotes from Leviticus, the verse that we read. It hadn't changed. God hasn't changed. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And Peter quotes that from Leviticus. Listen to it. Verse 34. So do not worry. There it is again. Do not worry about tomorrow. Because, guess what? Tomorrow will care for itself. And I know in like the ESV, you get that sixth translation of worry there. He says, it says actually, I think tomorrow will worry for itself or has enough of its own worries. That would be the sixth time he uses or that word is translated in such a fashion. It's going to lay out like it's going to lay out. We're to focus upon what God has promised, who He is, and what He can do in our life. He adds that each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day does. And there's nothing that we can do about that as far as trouble coming. I thought I had a quote. I must have passed it somewhere. Nothing we can do about that other than trust God and follow Him and rely upon His Word. And I wanted to take a minute just to look at this and Focus on this issue about anxiety maybe for a minute. Our sovereign God is in charge of our future. He is. He has promised that. 
So what do we take from that? We're to be responsible with our time. We're to be responsible with our talents, our resources, in recognition and thankfulness to the Lord for His provisions. That's a good place to begin. Is there anybody in here that doesn't have a roof over their head or food to eat? Is there anybody? Our faith allows us to leave the future to the Lord. And if we can't do that, that's a good measuring stick, right? It's not that we don't have legitimate concerns. Again, it's this issue about what is dominating our mind. Trouble, trials, difficulties, challenges, disappointments, they're all going to come. They're all going to come. We can help one another. We have the church. We have the Word of God. We have His indwelling Spirit as believers. We have His promises. We're never alone. We're never abandoned in our faith. Never. The Lord does not give grace, as it says, for tomorrow, now. A quote from MacArthur again. He doesn't give grace for tomorrow, right now. That would mess up his whole plans about <laughs> growing us in our faith, challenging us, testing us, if you will. No, we must go there. He speaks of the surpassing riches of his grace, does he not? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. He talks about His grace being sufficient to the Apostle Paul who cried out because of his difficulty. Take it away! And his answer, we might consider a bit harsh, but not Paul, because he understood, my grace is sufficient for you. What did that tell Paul when he heard that? Sufficient. Oh, well, it's, it's going to be taken care of. Uh, I can't see it. I, don't, I can't see it out there. I don't know how it's going to happen. This thing, and most people believe that a, was a person who was actually tormenting Paul and was an adversary to his ministry and so forth. Wasn't it his eyes were bad or anything like that? That's what he was talking about. He said, Lord, take this thing away. It's just a hindrance. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Paul understood that. He did the self-evaluation and realized what? I know why this is happening. I'm paraphrasing, but this is the truth. I know why this is happening. I still got pride in my life. Still got pride in my life. Yeah. Because he says later it was because of the abundance of the revelation. He didn't want to be exalted above measure. It's a tough lick sometimes being human, isn't it? And we have to acknowledge our shortcomings. You talk about being Christ-like. You're talking about some spiritual surgery going on. And it's something that you really have to be able to yield yourself over to. Nobody can do that for you. The Word of God preached to you and taught to you, of course, is key. It's a help. But that, just like salvation, is the work of God in your life. It's one of those things that, that serves to cement and to grow your relationship with God because what's happening with you, those things that are confessed within your heart and soul that maybe you wouldn't confess to anybody else, those insufficiencies, those difficulties, you confess to Him and He deals with them. And when the work is done and you know that you're at a different place in your life spiritually, you know it's because your relationship with the Lord, He did that. He did that. That's precious. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to have. You have to yield yourself to that. And God will work. And He will do 
He will do His work in that regard. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. Great is Your faithfulness. And I always like to tell our visitors, especially our first-time visitors, these folks are not offended. They're, they're serving. Okay? They're servants. they got to go do their thing. <laughs> the ones who are leaving. Isaiah 26.3 The steadfast mind you will keep in perfect peace because He trusts in you. I learned that in the older translation. For thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because He trusteth in thee. That's just the way I learned it. Trusting God and experiencing that peace that later it says passes all understanding. And then lastly, and we'll finish, John 14, 27. We says, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. I said that was it, but I got a little more here that deals with sustaining help of God's Word. Oh, good, i got three minutes. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I always love this verse. We've talked about it before. And though I'm, I'm not a, a Greek person, I have to read what others have said. I understand this verse carries five negatives in it, Greek negatives, and it means something like, I will not, no way, not, never, not, no, how, ever leave you. It's that kind of thing in the Greek. He's serious. Hebrews 13.5 My God will supply all of your need out of His riches. Philippians 4.19 Before that in Philippians, Paul said to don't, just don't be anxious for anything. He's talking like Jesus. Don't be anxious for anything. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. How? What? By prayer. By supplication. You've thought about what you need. You've thought about the needs of others. You know specifically what you're praying about. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Two more and we're done. 1 Peter 5, 6-8 Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Listen, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be, sober, be, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Why? There's a battle going on. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Isn't it interesting that he mentions this about our enemy, our great enemy, on the heels of this, this issue of anxiety. And perhaps our failure to cast our burdens upon Him as if to say this creates a fertile field. This creates an environment for Him to slip in and start tearing you down. We don't want that to happen. That could, that could occur in a number of different ways. And this is the last one. Psalm 55.22 Again, cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And we are reminded again that we have no righteousness of our own. We find our righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has provided for us. Hesitant to do it, but I'm going to mention it. There's a song out there on popular Christian radio. It gets your attention. 
the, I don't really know the name of, of the song, but I know the, the line in there. It says, Fear is a Liar. Heard that song by Zach Williams, I think it is? Fear is a Liar. That's true. We don't have anything to be afraid of because of the God that we serve, because of His promises, because of the Word of God, because of the Spirit of God indwelling us, because of the fellowship of the church, because we know what's laid out for Christ's church. We know that. We're just challenged to live within that. Let's love and minister to one another like we believe that.